Hello, and welcome to the Eclectic Vanguard. With me, Michael Brown. This is, of course, Radiolab 97.1 FM. Hello, everybody. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are ready for an interesting discussion this evening, and uh, I'm happy to be hopefully bringing one to you uh, today. It's going to be a continuation of our discussion with Laura Towler. If you didn't tune in to last week's show, uh, you may be a little bit lost, but I will do my best to fill you in. But yeah, we're going to be speaking to her for the duration, really. I was thinking about trying to get some other other people on to speak about other issues. But to be honest, I think considering uh, how long the uh, discussion I had with Laura ended up being, which is something I, of course, do not begrudge. I thought it was an interesting conversation. Uh, but considering how long it ended up being, I figured it would make sense to uh, try and get it pretty much uh, out of the way uh, in a only a few episodes, because otherwise, you know, if I did what I, I do with some of my interviews where I kind of juggle them with other interviews and intersperse them and things like that, uh, it could end up being, uh, you know, released over a series of months uh, rather than weeks. So I figured it would be a good idea to have that conversation pretty much play out uh, entirely on, on this show without any uh, uh, shared priorities or things like that. And to be honest, I don't really have any uh, news to, to talk about as much. Obviously, you know, there's plenty of stuff I could talk about, but I only really talk about things when they are uh, very immediately interesting to me. And in, in this case, that's that's not the case. So fortunately, that means that uh, I will be able to just let you uh, listen to the, the uh, interview and hear what Laura has to say. Um, as was the case last week, uh, I made more of an effort in, in this discussion that I had with Laura to try and make clear where I was coming from uh, through my questions. And with that in mind, obviously, the questions are, are slightly longer, but that's fine because uh, ultimately, uh, seeing as the interview was so long, it was nice to have it be a bit more two-sided. And obviously, I do appreciate the fact that uh, Laura let me ask my questions, as obviously I, I let her answer. And yeah, I, I am again quite appreciative of her for being willing to to come on the show and defend her ideas. If you would like to check out last week's episode, you can always find it on the Eclectic Vanguard YouTube channel, and you can find the full interview there. I can appreciate that you might just want to listen to the full unedited discussion. Uh, that that would be fine if that was the case, uh, because I, you know, like I said, I can completely understand the desire for that. Uh, you know, it might sound a bit more free flowing and things like that, but I will try and add uh, helpful and uh, useful little uh, asides here to kind of just fill in what's being discussed and uh, not quite as much as last week, but really uh, try and summarize the, the points addressed in each section. And I will try and summarize the points addressed last week. They were um, reasonably uh, simple. The first thing being, of course, we spoke about Laura's uh, history with uh, brands coming out as progressive and, and why she felt the need to start a uh, a tea brand with a more nationalist uh, sentiment. Um, but also then moving on to really just uh, two key topics, which is the first one being, you know, why do people care about race? You know, wh why would somebody be invested in the racial makeup of this country? And Laura uh, 
conceded that certainly there are many people who, who don't care about race. There are many people who uh, have other priorities and that that's perfectly fine. And this is something that you will see be repeated a bit uh, at the beginning of our discussion uh, this week. But also that she personally feels that, you know, there is a, a sense in which one could understand the changing of the ethnic demographic of this country as uh, something of an existential threat to British society. After all, you know, there, there is a connection between a nation state like the UK and the people who live within it. And that is certainly an idea which I can understand somebody uh, endorsing. And for me, for my part, I did, of course, say that I understand Britishness differently. Uh, I know lots of other people do. And, you know, I can understand people, especially people who are non-white, who consider themselves very much to be British, why the suggestion that they are in some way less authentically British is something that would bother them. You know, and I certainly am not going to tell anybody that they are wrong to take objection to to what Laura says. Uh, but certainly what you can do uh, is listen to everything she says and, and decide whether or not you agree with it for yourself. Because I do think that there are people out there who agree with Laura to varying extents. And whether you agree with them or not... Uh, if, if, I mean, but especially if you, if you disagree with them, then surely the, the best thing we need to be doing then is, is having a discussion. Because, uh, something I am absolutely convinced of having spoken to Laura is that the strategy of just telling people immediately that they are racist for having these concerns about, about demographic change is a strategy which does not work. So even from the position of, and to be honest, even if you do think that it is racist, to have these concerns about demographics. Uh, certainly just saying that and having that be the extent of your objection is not going to change anybody's mind. And the reality is that the only way you will be able to change anybody's mind is if you listen to what people are saying and you actually try and address the arguments they're making and deal with the sort of axioms that underpin uh, people's political beliefs. So with that said, uh, I, I mean, if you disagree with Laura uh, and you think, you know, and obviously, you know, you may not have heard what anything of what she said so far, but based on the fact she identifies herself as a British nationalist, if you disagree with her, then uh, I would say you, you owe it to yourself to listen to what she's saying, because I think she does a very good job at uh, expressing, you know, contemporary British nationalist beliefs. So obviously, if you want to be somebody out there uh, arguing against British nationalism, making a, a convincing case against British nationalism, then I would assume you would want to know uh, what the most uh, cogent expression of British nationalism is. And I do believe that Laura does uh, provide that here. So with that said, that's uh, part of why I, I felt the discussion was, was necessary. Of course, there's also the fact that I just in general think that uh, this, this, this platform I have is a uh, a nice opportunity to have interesting discussions, certainly discussions I wouldn't otherwise have in my uh, kind of political circles. But uh, I, and you know, I, I certainly found Laura to be an interesting person to speak to. But definitely, uh, insofar as I'm aware, that lots of people who are listening to this might disagree with Laura. I, I think it's worth noting that uh, this discussion is uh, certainly as much a discussion for, for you to listen to as it would be a discussion for people who agree with Laura or have sympathies for Laura's viewpoint, uh, if not more so. So with that said, I, I won't delay uh, any longer, uh, apart from just saying that the other thing we touched on actually uh, last week was demographic change and the way that 
the UK is changing and I um, expressed my, my disagreements with the way that this is characterized and I actually went on to express those uh, disagreements uh, with Laura in a, a subsequent conversation that, that we had. We've uh, kept in touch a little bit and uh, you know uh, it, it's something which which my opinion remains broadly unchanged on. I do think that the statistics are being used in a way which is is somewhat misleading. But if you want to hear my opinions on that, again, you can check it out on The Eclectic Vanguard. You can also follow us on Twitter at uh, The Eclectic Van. Oh, sorry, let me be correct there. At Eclectic Van. There is no the. Um, Eclectic Van on Twitter. And you'll be able to find us there. And uh, really, it's just, you know, tweeting things relevant to the show. So uh, there's not too much you'll get there, which you wouldn't get from just following the show regularly, uh, tuning in at 8 p.m. every Thursday on Radio Lab 97.1 FM. However, uh, with that said, the conversation I had with Laura, first of all, started with uh, getting back onto the subject of changing demographics and particularly why it is that white people have lower birth rates than uh, other demographic groups within the UK. So I will leave you with that conversation. Here is Laura Towler. I am interested, actually. Why do you think white people have... uh, such a low uh, fertility rate well i think there's numerous reasons obviously our, mm. our grandparents uh, i think my dad's one of seven i think or one of one of six okay my, my um, mom's one of four so so one of four did you say yeah yeah but yeah. then my, my dad's one of two so that's uh not not evidencing claim but uh yeah one of seven wow yeah and I'm one of three. It, it does. T- it is going down over time. Obviously, you can you can look yeah. at the figures. We've been collecting them for a long time, but I think there's numerous reasons why this is happening. Um, I did see a study which was done a few years ago, a massive study on British women, and it asked them how many children they wanted to have, and the most popular answer was three. The second mm-hmm. most popular answer was four, and then it was two, and then it was one, and then it was zero. But obviously, the fertility rate is 1.5. The main reason why women were saying that they weren't having children was because of economic reasons. They couldn't yeah. afford to do it. I think also uh, a lot of women, maybe they spend their 20s uh, in the education system, spending time with their friends, traveling, all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't seem to be until women are slightly older nowadays that they decide that they want a family. And obviously, once you hit, I think, the age 37, your fertility does start to decline a lot as a woman. Mm. So I think that's two reasons. Uh, also, I would say that uh, white people in the United Kingdom are told that we're responsible at the moment for all of the evils of the world. We've actually got politicians in Parliament demanding reparations. Even though they moved to this country for a better life, they're angry with us and they're demanding reparations. You you only have to turn the TV on and turn on something like, I don't know, the BBC or Good Morning Britain, and you'll see the latest... Mm intellectual foreign person talking about how white people are you know terrorists and the worst people in the world and I think when you have that drilled into you constantly you do start to think about the future and think you know is there a future for me here I actually interviewed a student a couple of years ago a 15 year old student English student who was teaching me about what he was taught in the education system and one of the things that he was taught was on St George's Day his head teacher gave them an assembly and taught them about why reasons why they should feel ashamed to be English. I think that's disgusting. I think our people mm. should be taught to be proud of who they are, you know, to to go forward and achieve everything that they can achieve and to love themselves and to love their people. When you have that constantly from birth throughout the education system and then through the media and politicians when you grow up, I do think that there's a a sense of loss, you know, and a sense of kind of is it worth it as well? 
Mm. Um, so that's probably a bit more of a philosophical answer to the economic and the yeah uh, you know the cultural one but I do think that is having an impact on people I mean depression rates are skyrocketing people are on pills for anxiety and all sorts of problems nowadays and that wasn't the case when we were younger ADHD is also skyrocketing as well so I, I do think that there is a negative mental state for us at the moment that a lot of people are going through yeah, I mean, but it it should be pointed out that a, a quite substantial uh, challenge to the idea of uh, that it's about um, the impact of, of multiculturalism, I suppose, that's making white people have fewer children would be that I think Japan has quite a low uh, fertility rate. And I believe a lot of Eastern Europe also has a uh, quite low fertility rate. I'm sure Russia has a declining population, for example, and Russia is not exactly, a, you know, um, filled with uh politicians clambering for for more immigration that i know of so but i, I do think I, the um, I, I agree that there are sorry to yeah, interrupt, yeah, but there are, life isn't simple yeah it's never just black and white and there's never just one answer and that's the one answer there are multiple layers why something happens um and i would say the reasons why it's happening in japan uh might be different to the, the yeah. reasons in britain other reasons in russia or that there could be multiple reasons in different countries yeah that's um I suppose actually one one thing I want to kind of get by because you you you've said that um you know uh, everyone should should have the right to I guess live how they like um it it is true really in in the UK still and it seems like it, it will continue to be true for a decent while perhaps because of how uh the the nature of Britain's I guess urban uh, demographics that if somebody does want to live in a a majority white area in the uk and you know comfortably majority white uh there are many many options and uh, you know where, where i live in southeast england is one of the most kind of diverse areas i mean i know there are other areas obviously there's birmingham there's the kind of bradford and things like that but uh you know obviously london luton um milton Keynes, which is actually where i live in southeast england these are these are places which are uh, less than 80% uh, British, and obviously, as you point, white British, and as you pointed out yourself with regards to uh, London and Luton, uh, I think you said less than 50%. So, but, but then having said that, I would suggest that certainly the reason why I am happy to, to live here, and honestly, the reason I'd be happy to live in, in Luton and, and London, and the reason why I'd imagine lots of uh, young people in particular are, are kind of wanting to move to London, aspiring to live in London is because they have certain priorities uh, in terms of where they want to live. You know, they want to live in a big bustling uh, area. And principally, I would suggest they probably don't really mind the racial demographics of of wherever it is they're living. And if that is something which you like, and, you know, there's lots of reasons why somebody might prefer a more kind of traditional uh, you know, <laughs> uh, environment that there are options there too. So isn't it kind of true that right now, actually, at least in terms of living your day-to-day life, there are decent options for whatever your kind of preferences and priorities are when it comes to, uh, you know, the demographics you're surrounded by? Yeah, I think lots of people um, are quite happy to live in busy cities with multiculturalism, um, but Mm -hmm. also lots and lots of people aren't. And that's why white flight exists. There was an article, I think it was in the Times last year, Mm that asked why so many white people were leaving London. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to spin it like economic reasons and all this kind of stuff. But I think in reality, it's 
lots of people don't want to live among multiculturalism. You know, I get lots of emails from people saying that uh, they're, I don't know, 10th generation Londoner and they've suddenly left it because they're the only English speaking person on their street anymore. But to answer your question about there being white areas in the UK, mm. uh, the government published a report last year saying that the English countryside was too white and we shouldn't be mm. allowed to have white spaces because it's exclusionary to non-white people. So they've put incentives and all these crazy diversity quotas in place to try and get more black people into the countryside. Uh, if we look at, for example, a city like York, which is still, uh, I think it's 94% white. Yeah. It, it's, it tends to sort of start on, you know, in, the, in like the big cities, but it does yeah. sort of creep, the diversity and multiculturalism does sort of begin creeping to the towns. Um, it takes more time. I mean, I live in a little village in Leeds, uh, which mm. is almost entirely white. But even over the last decade, I've started to see a little bit of multiculturalism creeping in. Uh, a Turkish barbers, a couple of takeaways, that kind of thing. Um, where my dad lives as well, in the Yorkshire Dales, there's a little bit of diversity creeping in on the outskirts. And I think a lot of us, I mean, I would quite confidently say now where I live, it's it's probably over 95% white. Yeah. Uh, and I'm quite happy where I am. I'm, I'm happy that I'm around people who share the same culture and same language as me. But I know it's probably not going to be like that forever. And I think with nationalism, you're not necessarily thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about the world that your children will grow up in and your grandchildren mm. will grow up in. My husband and I uh, recently got married and uh, we're trying for a family of our own now. And I, I worry about what it's going to be like for them um if immigration and fertility rate trends continue as they have been doing for the last two decades mm. by the year 2000 and was it 2041 or 2051 mm. uh, but by one of those years uh white british people will be a minority in leeds that's my city do you know what i mean that my kids yeah. my grandkids are going to be growing up in that and i don't want them to go to school and be the only british kid in their class and be held back because the teacher's trying to speak 20 languages uh, I don't want them to be bullied because they're different to everyone else. I, I want them to grow up among their own people and be able to be proud of who they are and celebrate who they are. So I don't necessarily think it's about saying everything is really, really bad today. I think it's about being concerned for the, yeah. the future and, and the safety and prosperity of your people. OK, that's um interesting. There's a, a few things I actually wanted to cover in terms of I guess, in a way, actually, uh, group identities in, in the UK, and uh, these are thoughts I have, because obviously, uh, one of one of the issues, uh, as I think we're kind of getting at, is that there are people in the UK who have have different um, priorities in terms of what they they want society to look like, and obviously, you you pointed out yourself, there are a variety of different uh, in group preferences people have, and I think one of the ones I'm very interested in is actually um, class, and I'm wondering how you incorporate that because. Uh, speaking as um, somebody from Milton Keynes, uh, something that, and I think in general this is true for a lot of uh, British areas, uh, I am more cognizant of distinctions in terms of class than I am in terms of race. Uh, you know, in my uh, nice suburban uh, middle class area where I live, there are black families and, and Asian families and Chinese families. And I, uh, you know, have, you know, I, I very much get along with them. Uh, but to be honest, when I head over to a, a rough part of town, uh, I'm not particularly concerned whether or not the, the people around there are black or, or white or whatever else. You know, their, their race isn't relevant to me. What's relevant is that I feel that actually that, that class distinction is uh, a big factor. So I guess uh, kind of two questions in a way. One, 
uh, I suppose, well, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, I guess if you have any other comments on that, then you're welcome to make them. But two, to what extent do you think it would be perhaps necessary to, you know, um, if you wanted to facilitate kind of a, a celebration of, of white Britishness, which I imagine is, is what you say you'd be very inclined to celebrate, uh, there needs to be an attempt to overcome the the class divisions in this country. Because, you know, like a, a lot of the UK, I would say, is defined by class. You know, you look at the idea of the the Eton, Eton colleges uh, dominating politics. You look at the fact that so many of the people in our entertainment industry are people who, who went to private school and then on to, you know, Cambridge and, uh, and Oxfordshire. Uh, sorry, Oxfordshire, <laughs> um, Oxford uh, University. To yes, yeah, how how do you how do you think that um, it can be overcome? The fact that we are a country that I would say is divided at least as much by this suspicion of, uh, you know, the suspicion that certainly middle class and upper class people might have of, of working class people and things like that. Uh, do you think that's a relevant factor, and do you think it's something which would need to be overcome to achieve a sort of more racial solidarity? Well, I think it's important to recognise that there are class divides. I would definitely agree with you on that. And mm. when I went to university, I, I studied politics and all of my modules were broken up into three parts and I could always choose between race, class and gender. And I mm. always chose class. I always chose to write about class yeah. because basically because all my tutors were massive lefties and I thought if I write about race, <laughs> it's going to fail me. But I'm working class myself. I grew up on a council estate. I was born in the NHS. I went to a state school. My mum's a cleaner. My dad's a manual worker. Yeah. Um, and I'm working class, but I, I I am educated. You know, I went to university because I worked hard at school and then college and university. And maybe I'm different in the sense that I think a lot of the people where I live don't don't necessarily have any qualifications. Um, mm. But I, you know, I'm happy sat in a scruffy little pub or a working men's pub and, you know, having a warm pint, just as comfortable as I am really, you know, sat in a posh wine bar or whatever. So me personally, I don't really see yeah, okay. much of a class class division, but I do recognise that for other people it is very real. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, I think we're divided across all mm. sorts of different lines. Uh, you know, sex, whether you're male or female, is another one. Uh, class is very real. Race is very real. And then within race as well, you have different ethnic groups and there's those yeah. divides. So, I mean, I'm not a fan of the Conservative Party at all. They do seem to be for, um, not for the working class, but for the middle class and upper class. Um, and I do recognise that those divides are there and I do think it's something that we need to mm. heal. You know, it's actually interesting because I went to Australia a couple of years ago and they don't seem to have that class divide at all. Um, it doesn't seem to exist. Everyone seems to mm. get on with everyone. So it's interesting how it's it's very heavily featured in the United Kingdom. Um, and I think it's definitely something that we need to address. And, and maybe it's because we basically have the two-party system, you know, where it's the, yeah. the Conservative Party. Um, although I don't think either of those parties care about the white working class at all. And that's probably why Labour were destroyed in the last election. Yes, uh, well, uh, that's a whole other discussion, the, the impact on a kind of party politics. Uh, I'm just going to interrupt to remind you this is the Eclectic Vanguard on Radio Lab 97.1 FM with me, Michael Brown. And I just wanted to say uh, quite quickly, actually, that uh, obviously I already covered how Laura has admitted that many people have other concerns outside of race. And certainly she just did that here, you know, with regards to class. Obviously, for me personally, class is is my lens, uh, the lens which I am more focused on. I, I do think that Laura obviously uh, maybe is is 
less concerned about certain economic factors, which isn't to say she's not concerned about them at all. But for me, I, I do fall into the category of somebody who understands the vast majority of political and social uh, conflicts in economic terms rather than uh, any other kind of term. And for me personally, that's why class is something I am much more aware of in, in my day-to-day -day life. And I am suspicious of, of this idea that there is some broad solidarity between people of the, the same race in the UK. I think that there is uh, so much that divides us and a lot of stuff that divides us more strongly than race. But that is obviously me coming from my own particular perspective. And, you know, perhaps you uh, were listening to Laura and agreed with her more in saying that for you, you know, class is something that you care about a lot, but not actually something you believe uh, divides us in, in a meaningful way. And if that's the case, then, you know, you're, you're obviously, uh, I mean, I can't deny your experiences in that regard. So, yeah, I, I hope that you um, found what has been discussed so far uh, to be quite interesting. And I will, you know, continue to uh, uh, let you listen to the rest of the discussion. And it's, uh, I think, you know, again, interesting. Moving on to uh, other topics. And I think actually moving on to, and uh, this is the bit of the discussion which I found the uh, the most interesting in a way, I think, you know, I don't want to imply that everything after this is, is less interesting, but getting into the discussion of the relevance of uh, race uh, to Britishness in light of some ways that uh, people might conceptualize British society. And I do think that's an interesting discussion, and it's certainly a discussion where, for me, uh, I, I very much do uh, disagree with the kind of British nationalist perspective, but obviously I wanted to present these ideas to Laura so I could hear what she would have to say in response. So again, I will leave you with uh, Laura Towler, and this is uh, me, Michael Brown, on the Eclectic Vanguard Radio Lab 97.1 FM. There, there's actually a, another, another thing I was thinking about. You, you mentioned the things that divide people, and obviously one of those things is... Um, is religion and obviously i'm not just going to rehash the whole point about how people can be divided by religion because as you've already pointed out people can be divided by lots of things but but something I, i'm interested in is the fact that you know if you are a a, a british nationalist a, a british patriot and a, a british traditionalist then of course something that you you would presumably have to be uh enthusiastic about at least in a a cultural sense even if you don't actually hold it to be uh you know metaphysically true is um christianity and and christian theology and christian uh values and uh i i mean obviously and i <laughs> let me let me stress this is not a comparison to you and this individual but um i i remember there is a, a quote by um hitler and again that's why i must stress i'm not saying but uh he <laughs> he, going? <laughs> he, fam he famously said well, i say famously said there, there's a quote by him where he basically said that he he thought it was a disaster that the the white europeans had accepted christianity um, because Christianity is a religion that says, you know, uh, everybody is, is welcome. Everybody should come in. There should be a massive global community. Obviously, the um, focal point, the center point of, of the Book of Acts is when the international church at the uh, uh, city of Antioch is established. There's this and obviously, you know, all of um, Paul's writings when the division between Jews and Gentiles was this massive thing. All of Paul's writings are basically saying this division between Jews and Gentiles, it, it shouldn't exist. Um, it seems as if Christianity is very fiercely multicultural, very fiercely about tearing down barriers. You know, obviously people talk about how the, the first convert to, um, to Christianity in the book of Acts is an Ethiopian. Um, do you think it's, it's quite difficult to, 
kind of, uh, I, I guess, reconcile a, a sincere enthusiasm for the Christian element of British traditional society with the fact that seemingly a recurring Christian value is one of uh, sort of cosmopolitanism when it comes to different races and ethnicities. Uh, so a patriotic alternative, because uh. in nationalist circles, people argue about religion all the time. Uh, we've tried to just focus on our people, the British people. And we've said, you know, religion can be uh, the next point. The uh, ideology, the political ideology that we go ahead with can be, can be the next point. At the moment, we need to focus on securing a homeland for our people. Uh. But at patriotic alternative, we say uh, that we respect that the United Kingdom is culturally Christian. And, you know, celebrations like Christmas and Easter, etc., should be continued to be celebrated. But we also think that we should pay respect to older uh, pre-Christianity European religions. And I would say within nationalism, there's mainly three sort of um, directions that people go yeah. in. It's either Christianity, a more sort of traditional European religion, such as paganism, yeah. or people are just not religious at all. And myself, I'm... Uh, I was christened when I was a baby, so I guess if I filled out a form, I would say that my religion is Church of England, but I'm actually just not a spiritual person at all. I just, yeah. I really struggle with spirituality. So, uh, again, I think when it comes to religion, apart from maybe the older sort of European sort of pagan religions, which tend to just be celebrated by European people, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I've never seen a black person or a Japanese person celebrating them. No. Um, I think religions can be celebrated by everyone, and yeah. it does mean a lot to a lot of people. But also, you know, we, we can sit and have an argument today about whether Britain should be Christian or whether it should be pagan or whether it should be um, secular or, or whatnot. At, at the end of the day, our people are becoming a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of the population. So let's focus on securing a homeland for our people first and stopping those demographic shifts. Um, yeah. And then maybe we can have a conversation about religion. That's uh, that's interesting. I, I've one one final point on. Um... On specifically this idea of, uh, I guess, the value of of uh, racial and demographic kind of an ethnic homogeneity with regards to uh, Britain is one of Britain's most pronounced achievements. One of the the biggest parts of the British legacy has been the uh, the British Empire, and obviously within the current context, it, it's a lot of it's about uh, attacking and and discrediting the the british empire and uh, I'm, I'm sure well i know you disagree with that uh and you know the fact that people say it's something that we should be sorry for but there, there is an alternative point of view and i'm wondering what you think of this which is that uh for for many people the fact that um britain has this diversity of people coming from parts of the former british empire it, in some sense almost has a, a quaint idea of it being a a beacon on on the hill i think is is the term and i can say that my um step grandmother my uh granddad's second wife uh is indian uh she's still alive and uh you know i, I went to see her well so somewhat recently uh but uh not recent enough to have been illegal uh for me to have gone seen her with uh, the lockdown <laughs> and stuff but um she she has a, a plate and the plate is is a plate that she owned in in india and it had a kind of made in in britain uh thing on it and this would you know have been in the 1940s or 50s and she was saying that you know for her you know owning that plate and you know it, it was a thing where she thought about how fantastic britain was and how much she wanted to to move here and 
it, it's as much as obviously, like I say, the, the British Empire has this fraught legacy of people attacking it. For many people, especially people in, in areas that historically were part of the British Empire, actually the British Empire is something they're very enthusiastic about. And it's something which actually makes them want to to come to the UK. I know um, my uh, the I actually am religious, and the uh, the pastor at my local church is is Kenyan. And we one time were talking about kind of uh, cult, the cultural and kind of racial um, situation in the UK, and the idea of Britishness as a thing being celebrated. And he was saying how you know for him, Britain Britishness is something he's he's always felt should be celebrated as somebody who you know was part of the British Empire. So uh, you know. Like I say, obviously, if this was if the question was, do you think the British Empire is terrible? I'm sure you would disagree. But there's an alternative point for you, which is, what do you think of people who, who say the British Empire was, you know, this thing which many people are proud to have been a part of and happy to have been a part of, and that perhaps Britain as the nexus point for the British Empire is somewhere where we should say, hey, you know, these, these people who who love Britain and have this history of Britain through kind of colonialism, who are enthusiastic about that history and not kind of resentful about it they should be able to come here and, you know, see where it all started, as it were. Uh, well, with regards to the British Empire, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I have the opinion that you expected, but uh, okay. I have mixed feelings about it because, you know, Britain is a tiny island and we colonised a quarter of the globe. Mm. And we did that through our own hard work, our uh, innovation, our brute force, our intelligence. And I do look back at that and think, you know, wow, my tiny little island was so powerful. Mm. And I do feel very proud of it in that sense. But do I agree with it? I'm a nationalist and I don't want people coming into my country today. So I would be a massive hypocrite if I said that it was okay for Britain to go around colonising other countries mm. because it's taking away self-determination from other people. No matter what good the empire did, you know, spreading science, healthcare, technology, the rule of law, education around the globe, increasing life expectancy, getting rid of all sorts of horrible things in India, for example, where they used to throw widows on the bonfire and oh, yeah. bury people who had leprosy alive and that kind of stuff. We did a lot of good, but do I think we have the right to do that? No, I mm. don't. I think that all groups of people have the right to uh, their own homeland, you know, where they can govern themselves. So I don't actually think that I 100% uh, agree with the British Empire, although I do look back at what we did and, you know, think, wow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we, I, did, we, we were powerful. Um, I, I don't suppose, think... uh, sorry, I was just going to, yeah. sorry, just to interrupt as a, I suppose it's maybe a bit like the, uh, the Mongol Empire, you know, the Mongol Empire was obviously a very destructive and, uh, and brutal and yet you would imagine that if you're a mongolian uh you know uh in that country which is now relatively irrelevant it must give you a sense of pride to think of even i guess that's it you know when you're looking historically a lot of the time you don't necessarily turn a moral lens to it you just think blimey that was impressive yeah yeah definitely uh, do i think we should apologize for the empire absolutely no way i don't think we should apologize for anything because i don't think people who are alive today should feel guilty for anything that happened before they were born and i also think it's a slippery slope because mm. if we apologize for that should we apologize for this and this and this and this and should we just spend all our lives apologizing i think you know what was in the past was in the past it was a different way of life then i mean we used to hang draw and quarter our own people <laughs> a, couple, mm. a few hundred years ago a couple of hundred years ago so times change and um, so i don't think we should apologize for it but with regards to people moving here because they were part of the empire um my people for example uh, my ancestors before the industrial revolution obviously obviously we had a cottage industry and then when the industrial revolution kicked off in the 1700s um textile fact factories opened all across europe and mm. my uh, ancestors went to work in textile factories including children for 15 hours a day um very bad way of life 
And then when the empire started, all their industries got shipped abroad. Uh, cheap sweated goods were imported and exported out of the country and they were undercut and they lost their jobs. I don't mm. think my people benefited from the empire. I don't think my people ever sanctioned the empire. Um, so to say, are you fine with immigrants coming to the country today because the empire happened before you were born and didn't even benefit your ancestors? My answer is no. Why should I suffer today for something that a tiny percent of elitists benefited from a couple of hundred years well, ago? Well, I mean, the the point which uh, I would stress is that because uh, I, I I think I understand what you're kind of talking about, which is somebody who would say like, uh, you know, that Britain deserves these, uh, you know, immigrants because of because of the empire. But uh, I suppose, you know, I, I'm talking about something slightly different in that what I'm talking about is not necessarily the idea of um, the, you know, that, that Britain needs to accept these people as a form of retribution, uh, you know, or, or penance for the empire, but rather that, you know, if Britain could accept these people because these people are, you know, so enthusiastic. And you look at, I mean, a country like, I, I suppose something which I, I'm interested in, and this is kind of point, you look at uh, a lot of the countries today which are fiercely kind of nationalist and, you know, it's places like Hungary and Bulgaria and, you know, Poland. And then you look at the places which are, you know, celebrating diversity and it's places like um, the United States and, you know, France to an extent. The the thing is, it seems as if the the countries which are on the international stage, the most uh, significant and almost in perhaps the most enviable position in some sense are, you know, the powerhouses of the uh, international order are also the countries that embrace this idea of uh, celebrating people people coming to visit them. Obviously, the, the US does have, and of course, you know, there are uh, divisions within the US on this, but the US has, in theory, a, a political culture of being a, a nation founded on, on immigrants and the hard work of immigrants. The UK and, and France, for example, arguably have a, a history of celebrating the relevance of their international uh, uh, exploits. Whereas, you know, a country like Hungary and Bulgaria, they don't have that same legacy to celebrate. And that perhaps actually it's possible to conceive of multiculturalism in Britain and France and, and the U UK, at least, sorry, Britain and France and the US, <laughs> at least in theory, as not penance for, you know, uh, the, the role of these countries internationally, but actually as a, a celebration of that. And I'm wondering if you could kind of well, understand that who's celebrating in the united mm. kingdom who's celebrating diversity apart from the establishment and the public celebrating it because if you do an opinion poll they usually cite immigration as their number one concern and also how how are we benefiting from diversity is gdp up or something i don't see how we're mm. benefiting from diversity when crime is on the rise and people are feeling atomized and um you know like strangers in their own homeland i wouldn't say we're benefiting from it um, but I think also you could look at things like um, the United Kingdom and America bombing somewhere like Syria. You know, people mm. say to us, um, you've done this, your people have done this, so therefore you need to accept refugees. Uh, it's kind of more related to what I said before, rather mm. than it being a punishment yeah. than a celebration. But again, if, if you're against something as a country, do you just have to agree with everything that your government does and then reap the repercussions for it i think you should be able to say well i was against mm. bombing syria as well yeah okay that's uh yeah that's fine uh 
Hey guys, just interrupting to remind you that this is the Eclectic Vanguard with me, Michael Brown, on Radio Lab 97.1 FM. We have been speaking to Laura Towler and we were just speaking about uh, why it is that somebody who is, let's say, invested in uh, the uh, traditions and the heritage and the legacy of, of the UK might actually want there to be a, a, a more racial diversity in this country, obviously touching on the uh, religious aspects, the fact that obviously Christianity is a historical religion of the United Kingdom that is very uh, pro-multicultural, but also the fact that the British Empire was a big part of uh, British heritage and that was also multicultural. And of course, um, like I say, um, Laura was able to express uh, the reasons why she did not consider those to be uh, overly relevant factors. And uh, the the final thing I, I really wanted to speak to Laura about, and this is something which will bleed over on into next show, is the the practicality of of her goals and uh, how exactly she can go about achieving them, and uh, particularly in the in the first instance, focusing on how the uh, public perception can be changed uh, when it comes to British nationalism, because of course. British national parties, they, they don't do terribly, but they certainly don't do well. So with that said, I was very interested in how does one change the conversation so that uh, within, you know, a uh, relatively short time frame, people's opinions will change and uh, Laura can achieve her results. Again, uh, I'm sure a lot of people won't want Laura to be able to achieve her results. I'm sure that uh, lots of people might think that what she's saying is, you know, uh, controversial. But of course, that's that's the point, that the fact that lots of people might not want Laura to achieve her goals is precisely the uh, the political climate that Laura and those who agree with her have to work against. So I, I was interested in how they uh, intended to to do that. So that was um, the the what the rest of our discussion for, for this show was focused on. So I'll just leave you with that. Uh, and again, this is uh, the Eclectic Vanguard with me, Mike Brown, on Radio Lab ninety seven point one FM. I suppose there's the other question now because uh, I think I think we've reasonably covered um, the matter of like, <laughs> I guess the the desirability of of what you're talking about in terms of uh, the UK's demographics. But there's there's another question which is the the feasibility of it, and I suppose there's kind of two aspects to that. But the first one I'm interested in is kind of um, how you know, you actually, okay, no, we'll start with this topic first, which is you, you present the, these views and they are, uh, you know, quite, quite reasonable. I, I will say that they are, you know, they're not, uh, horrendously bigoted or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I, I might disagree with you and I would put myself in the category of somebody who has, uh, different priorities to you in terms of, you know, I don't particularly, uh, care about, uh, the, demographics of where I live but obviously you do have these priorities and it seems like you are saying people should be free to have um the the priorities that that they prefer and obviously I, I do agree with you that it's true that uh, non-white people are encouraged to a lot of the time celebrate their uh backgrounds in a way that white people aren't you know there's there's lots of legitimate points you make but at the same time uh, how do you uh how do you hope to overcome the ne negative uh, associations with with what you believe? You know, because I, I imagine, I mean, you you were presumably quite concerned that perhaps this discussion could have been something where you would not have been able to 
present your views as as openly as I hope I've, I've made it so you're able to. Um, do, do you have kind of a game plan in your head of like how to get from right now where the, the views that you're kind of expressing would be considered uh, very controversial, you know, that you're not going to get invited on Good Morning Britain anytime soon, like you kind of uh, <laughs> said. Um, yeah, do you have a game plan to change the kind of political conversation or, you know, conversation in general in this country regarding uh, this issue? Well, I would say that in one way, we're very lucky because we have the truth on our side. We have nature on our side. Uh, you know, we're just being genuine, good people. And I'm just going to be myself on interviews, you know, present my real views and my real personality, etc. Uh, and I would say that whenever the media portrays anything that we've done, even, even if it's the most over-emotional articles that they write about us, which are just crazy. I mean, there was one, there was an article written the other day where we hung a banner up which said white minor white minority by 2066 that's what the banner said and the media <laughs> wrote an article about the banner and they wrote neo-nazi shadowy mob hangs up banner saying all non-whites have to be deported from the country mm. and you just think do you think your readers are stupid or something so every time they write these crazy over emotional articles about us it just sends a wave of um, interest and registrations towards us because people think who are these you know who is patriotic alternative are they really that bad and then they discover our website and then they think oh they're actually kind of reasonable they have a plan they do all this stuff you know helping the homeless helping children etc I'm going to sign up with them so to be honest the more the media write about us um, the, the more support we get uh, I think we had something like six, the, the week before last we had around six articles written about us in The Independent, The Guardian, The Sun, The Daily Mirror uh, and it was just a crazy week for registrations. I actually couldn't keep up with all the interest that we were getting but mm. you do have to jump through hoops a lot as a nationalist and you do try and cover your own back as well as you can so that's why why I said when I said I'd speak to you that I wanted the full recording to be, Yes. you know, that I wanted me to be able to have a full recording of it because the media they are terrible they will take something like a 10 minute recording of you and they'll cut like five sentences out and chop it all mm. together and make it out like you've said something that you haven't so you do have to always cover your own back so that you can defend yourselves when something like that like that happens but I will say I do honestly believe that we have public opinion on our side and that's because we're not we're not bad people you know we're not full of hate we actually have quite a lot of non-white people who support us at PA because they want Britain to remain British as well. And I think that people can see that we are decent people. So they keep suspending us from social media. They keep writing these hit pieces against us. They're now trying to change the law so that what we're doing is illegal. They've they've said that it's not illegal, but they want to change the law so that it is illegal. Uh, and you know, every time they throw something like this at us, our support grows. So I think we just need to keep standing up for what we believe in and keep being decent people and keep remaining rational and presenting a real alternative to the government and hopefully our support will continue to grow as fast as it has been doing do you do you think it's possible that uh, in a way and i know this is well it's it's kind of i know it's obviously what you the entire focus of your organization but in a way the the focus on on race uh, and I suppose, actually, let's say not the focus on race, but the focus on uh, demographics is is possibly going to uh, deter some people in a way. Because uh, I, I will say, you know, I am I am uh, not uh, I would not say I'm an NPC or anything, you know, when it comes to uh, <laughs> when it comes to racial issues. Uh, I don't um, blindly accept the the rhetoric of uh, Black Lives Matter UK, for example. And I have 
uh, plenty of objections to them. But uh, and I would say personally, from from my experience, I do think it's it is possible to uh, change the narrative and and you know point out that actually. Uh, and I, I think you know the example I'm quite fond of is um, that you know white working class men are probably actually the most systemically disadvantaged people in this country because there are so many. Uh, uh, means afforded to people who aren't white men in this country it actually means that white working class men get the worst off. But, um, you know, there are a lot of Marxists in uh, the UK. Uh, sorry, that, there aren't a lot of Marxists in the UK, but a lot of Marxists who, who are in the UK, uh, their big focus is on opposing identity politics. Their big focus is on having a class conscious discussion where they say, you know, let's not make it about uh black versus white and uh men versus women let's make it about the the masses versus the elite and i i'm wondering you know uh it, it seems to me like actually your your best bet and the way which would actually get the most people to uh sympathize with you would actually be to have more of a focus on not necessarily this idea of oh there's going to be uh, a minority of white people in in x number of years especially seeing as i think People are always going to try and quibble those statistics in a way that I would imagine would make the conversation less productive, but rather to put the focus on the fact that um, you should be able to, as a, you know, put the focus, I guess, on the masses um, and the uh, inequalities in this country that exist uh, that do negatively affect, uh, you know, the indigenous people of this country. I, I'm wondering... Yes. Do do you think that there is an extent to which perhaps this focus on demographics is actually, and apart from anything else, it has a negative association. You know, like a lot of the time if somebody hears, like I can personally say that when I hear somebody say, oh, white people are going to be a minority, uh, it does just, you know, the association is, oh, that's, you know, a, a right wing uh, crackpot talking point kind of thing. Uh, you know, yeah, even you even. Are that. PC then. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, it's something where, uh, where it's subconsciously, I suppose, you know, as imagining myself as kind of just a member of the public, for me, I, I would say that, you know, um, that I, I would expect that a lot of people, when they hear, you know, just somebody say, oh, white people are a minority in a certain amount of time, unless they're already quite predisposed to be concerned about the issue already, they're just going to think, uh, you know, it doesn't really affect me. You know, I, I don't care what percentage of the country is, you know, uh, black or white or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you think there is an extent to which your rhetoric could perhaps be framed in a way that might connect a bit more with, with people? I'm not sure. I think lots of people are predisposed to talk about this and demographics okay. and us becoming a minority in Britain is the single largest issue that we face today and the public are ready to talk about this. If you're not ready to talk about race yet, then there are parties on the centre-right, such as For Britain and UKIP, for example, that you're willing to support. But I will say that when PA formed, we had a lot of people who left For Britain and came to Patriotic Alternative, and they all said to us, you know, For Britain was the best thing around at the moment, but now you guys are actually talking about demographics. I've got somebody that I can support more enthusiastically. And okay. Race is everywhere. You cannot escape it. You know, I didn't become an adult and suddenly start thinking, oh, I'm white. This is something that I'm really passionate about. It was forced down me. I was told constantly that I was a terrible person because I was white. I went to live in Bradford for two years and mm. I was uh, followed home by Pakistani men, spat out, called, uh, I don't, am I allowed to say a swear word? Uh, probably not. I mean, unless it's called a very... A white 
beep okay i was white um offered money for things yes um yeah all all sorts of horrible things just because i was white when i lived in bradford and not only does it happen in real life and people experience these things but you turn on the tv and the latest intellectual, whether it be ash sarkar or that new one what's her name shoba something they wheel yasmin alibi brown they wheel them out all the time to tell white people how guilty they are you can't escape it you know you turn on the adverts and even though only four percent of white british people date somebody from another race Every single couple on the TV is black man, white woman. You you honestly just can't escape it. So you might not want to talk about race, but these people are kind of forcing it upon you. Mm. Um, so I just think that you can't escape it. And I think a lot of people are starting to realise that, especially with last year, because the two big things from last year were obviously coronavirus, but also BLM, um, you know, and the response from the establishment to George Floyd's death. Um, You know, people burning our flag, people pulling down our statues, people saying we need to release black prisoners from prison just because they're black. People trying to rewrite our curriculum, change our street names, our building names. Um, People saying that the police need to be defunded and all all this crazy stuff just because a black guy was killed in America. And people see that and they see that it's a racial issue and they, they think to themselves, well what can I do about this you know are my people safe do I have a future um when you're told that you're a bad person constantly I think that the natural reaction reaction is to want to defend yourself against that so I do think the public are ready to talk about race and uh I think last year really amplified things and really sped things up mm, yeah but I, I I mean I can actually I can agree that certainly racial politics in the UK has become a, a bigger issue uh relatively recently but I think uh it it's it's probably true, and uh, you know, this is me talking as uh, for myself, but I think also for just a lot of people who who I know, who I imagine would be, you know, listening to this, just yeah, people in, in general. Um, that for for lots of people, race isn't really everything. Certainly, race uh, is something which impacts lots of lots of things. But for me, you know, you said that the biggest issue in this country is is racial demographics. Uh, for for me, it would be you know something like a. Uh, uh, you know the the environment, uh, things like uh, the growing wealth inequality in this country. Even I, I care more about things like gender politics. I think um, you look at uh, children on puberty blockers. I think that's a far more um, pressing issue than you know. Like I, I'm I'm more worried that my my child will be uh, you know put on puberty blockers because they're they're a boy who you know puts on makeup makeup as a joke or something than I am that my child will will grow up with a, a black best friend or something. It seems like for you know well michael can i just interrupt you i don't don't think it matters that you know if your child was to grow up with a black best friend i I don't (laughs) don't think that's that's kind of myopic i don't think that's an issue it's the fact that your child might grow up yeah white kid in their classroom and you know no one speak the language and they get held back they get bullied because they're different they don't get to celebrate their culture anymore um, you know, their textbooks yeah. are rewritten, their school house names are changed, etc., etc. But I agree that all those issues that you mentioned are important as well. You know, like I said, everything's not just black and white. It's not a single issue thing. Race isn't the only thing that matters. But I mean, to take the environment, for example, uh, the environment, the environment matters, you know, and we have a big focus on uh, conservationism and environmentalism at Patriotic Alternative. But the biggest, biggest threat to the environment at the moment is immigration, because population growth is meaning that um, our pastures and our forests are being pulled down or built over. 86% mm. of population growth comes from immigration or whether that be direct immigration or the descendants of immigrants. So if you genuinely care about the environment, 
and you know our countryside and our forests and our rivers and stuff then you you must want to close the border surely because surely you don't want the habitats of animals to be destroyed and the ecosystem to be messed up so i think a lot of things are interconnected anyway um mm. but i i do think that demographics we can obviously disagree on this but i do think yeah. that, that is the the single largest issue that we face today and we only have 40 years until we're a minority in our own country if current trends continue uh, people often say, well, current trends might not continue. Well, you're right. They're not continuing. They're getting worse. More and more immigrants are coming every single year. The fertility rate is getting lower. The fertility rate of people born outside the UK is getting higher. So it will probably be before 2066. Um, and then when it happens, you know, look how bad things are now. Look at the things that we're not allowed to do and the things that they're trying to change. Mm. And imagine how bad that's going to be when we're 20% less than we are now or 30% less or 40% less than we are now. Mm. And uh, that's all we've got time for today. And again, I, I thought that was a very uh, interesting discussion. I thought it was uh, an interesting discussion to to close on. Uh, and I, I think it's um, significant that Laura, of course, ends by trying to hammer home how important this issue is for her and how she considers it, considers it to be not just the, the biggest issue, but the issue that affects a lot of other issues from the environment to you know people's economic situations. And I believe in the last episode, she even, uh, I think, related it to, to mental health. And of course, uh, there's the aspect of, of the treatment of women. Uh, uh, you know, her describing her experience having been harassed by, uh, men of, uh, you know, Asian extraction. And of course, that relates to, to other issues like, um, Rotherham and, and concerns over, over grooming gangs. So, you know, uh, th this idea of centering race, obviously, you know, uh, I, Laura did a, a reasonably good job at explaining why she personally centers it. Uh, and again, that isn't to say I, I agree. But considering how much Laura centers it, I do think there is that, that open question of how exactly do you go about solving this problem? You know, uh, because ultimately, I think uh, British nationalism and, and all forms of kind of white nationalism or any form of nationalism, really, uh, is the the big hurdle it faces is you know not only is uh, the 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 goal itself and whether or not you should even want the goal uh, something which I think many people would question but also even when when you uh, establish okay that you know let's say we wanted this goal how do you actually achieve it you know and that's always been one of my issues with uh, many forms of you know like I said I'll use just the term British nationalism. Uh, to keep it simple, but it, it's always been that I, I think even if you know I I agreed with you, uh, I'm not sure how exactly you can achieve your goals in, in practical terms. And you know, you think about uh, somebody like Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn, of course, uh, had, was under fire for the idea that he was unelectable, for the idea that he couldn't achieve the goals he wanted. And yet, when you look at Jeremy Corbyn's goals, they were uh, goals which were you know pretty reasonable. They they were quite moderate. Uh, they were not extremist, you know, communist uh, platform or anything like that. Uh, he, he, yeah, he certainly wasn't a, a radical. And obviously, you know, there's they, they were relatively mainstream ideas, certainly things like, you know, nationalizing the railway, uh, making university free. I mean, as many countries where university is free, um, he, he had these goals which were which were quite reasonable. And yet even he struggled to to be electable. And even he, you know, his capacity to achieve the goals he was looking towards were brought into question. And I think it's interesting when you look at uh, British nationalism and you think, well, it seems like uh, you, your goals are actually quite lofty and, you know, they would be quite difficult to achieve. And I, I do think it's an interesting topic and a topic which I actually think is uh, worth having 
how do you even achieve your goals? And I think a lot of the time people, because they over-moralize the debate and focus on whether or not it's right or wrong to be concerned about demographic change, they completely ignore the other question, which is, well, even if we do care about it, uh, how do we achieve it? And that's why, because I think that is an important question to discuss, it's what we will be focusing primarily on in the next episode. So uh, until the next episode, I have been Michael Brown. Uh, our guest today has been Laura Towler. This has been the Eclectic Vanguard on Radio Lab 97.1 FM.